What is up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Mitch Grace Show. So glad you are joining us today. Another awesome guest, um, not in in virtual studio. We can start saying that. I'm going to use that. Another awesome guest in virtual studio today. Um, we have Miss Jennifer Doherty on the show. Jennifer, welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I know we had a great conversation a week or two ago and we talked for like an hour and it was awesome. So we're going to do it again today. <laughs> this time people are going to listen. So yes, yes, yes. Um, Jennifer, you are a, a life and health coach and you kind of have the, uh, the, the passion to use humor for coaching uh, business leaders and people and individuals about kind of getting getting through things that happen in life. So how in the world are you relating and using humor to help people get through those challenging times? Oh my gosh. I just love this topic so much because if you can laugh through your problems, they can't defeat you. And I, I just noticed from all of my years in corporate America, I had just so many situations where leaders were struggling and team members were struggling and entry level people wanted to grow their careers. So you got a lot of different emotions going on. And I just found that like in situations where I helped my boss bring more humor to the team or help showcase how the team could work better together, I just found that results and productivity went through the roof. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And then I decided, you know what, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to get my health coaching certificate so I can just do more of this. So that's, that's how it came to be. I, I love that. I love the idea of bridging humor with productivity. Um, it's very interesting. Year after year after year, we see in the studies that money isn't the number one people reason, uh, reason people stay at jobs ever. Mm -hmm. It's always enjoying their job or having a purpose. And it just sounds really cool that you're, you've kind of figured out the open door to bring that joy back to the workplace and, and back to the challenging seasons of life. You know, what's interesting is um, I kind of had like the perfect bosses in my corporate career to teach me what happens when you don't have humor in the workplace. <laughs> and um, I definitely... Um, I had a boss that believed that if a team laughed, they were not working. And actually, if you paid attention to the numbers of reports put on the board and sales made, there was a correlation in weeks where people were actually enjoying themselves. Productivity didn't slow down. It actually increased. Yes. And because the leaders weren't using team morale as a metric, which is kind of a little woo-woo to track, but there are ways that you can track. You can do um, surveys with your team more often. Um, if someone comes to a one-on-one -on -one and they have nothing to say, they are on their way out the door right now. <laughs> because engaged employees want to develop their careers, they wanna grow with you. And even if you have the best opportunities, when that recruiter comes knocking and someone is enjoying their job, they have a less likely chance that they're gonna jump ship. Yes, it's all about giving value, right? When, when people feel like they're valued and empowered, and I, I love to tell leaders, you're investing in this career or this, this dream or building your business or whatever, but the real investors that those people have aren't on the stock market. 
the real investors are the people that come to work every single day and help them manifest that dream and that career. Without those people, leaders aren't leaders. And so that's really what you're talking about is giving them value and purpose and engagement. And that is, that's a beautiful thing. And when you can have fun doing it, you'll have people that stay for a long, long time. You do. And not only will they stay, but they'll be productive yes. for a long, long time. So much of the time companies I hear, I hear like, it seems to me that companies fall into one of two camps. If they're struggling, they fall into the camp of they can't retain people. So the yes. turnover is through the roof or they're able to retain people, but, but to practice, Productivity is just plummeted because people are doing the bare minimum just to get by because they know that they can. But if you have, if a leader is demonstrating what happens when you're enjoying work and you're produ productive, that is modeling it for your team. And even the executive editor of Vogue, I mean, she'll even say in an interview, you are nothing without a team. And she'll say it so yes. dramatically, but she really means it. Yes. Because really, you cannot be a leader if you don't have a team that follows you. Yeah, it's like someone said one time, I think it was John Maxwell back in the day, who's the author of 21, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, if you want to know if you're a real leader, look behind you. And if no one's following, then you're not leading. I've kind of adapted that over the years. And I like to say, if you want to know if you're a leader, look alongside you. And if no one's walking with you, then you're really not a leader. And that's really what she's saying. That's, yeah. that's, that's the value of leadership. So um, talk about what, what is the response you're getting from or the reaction from business leaders when they see that this works, when they see that joyful people can actually still be disciplined, can still be productive? What, what revelations are they coming to? Well, actually, it takes a lot for the leader to see that it's possible. Mm -hmm. I think there's so much on leaders' plates now that it's hard for them to see that this isn't just like some fairy dust, <laughs> like of right. something like if it was, you would fun to it, right? say. <laughs> I mean, just sell the fairy dust of. of uh... <laughs> <laughs> of productivity like here's a bottle of fairy dust productivity but I think some leaders they're so stuck in like the typical you know regimented business yeah. practices that I think some of them have lost their ability to be relevant yes um I once had a leader tell me as I was explaining um, my process and my message and he looked at me and he said I just think it's so strange that millennials want to actually have a purpose for their work. It seems so like you don't want to work. Mm -hmm. And I was like, ooh, what an interesting perspective. And as we continued talking, he eventually was like, oh, I should be incorporating this and this and this. And even though I didn't perform comedy from him, which I also do as a way to build rapport with teams or help teams actually use techniques of comedy to have that rapport. I didn't do that with his organization, but in that conversation, it led to him shifting how to approach his work mm -hmm. with the people that did follow him. And he, you know, we still stay in touch and he's like, Hey, I just, I did this thing. And so like, even though he didn't become like a monthly revenue customer, it impacted him yes. and because yeah. it impacted him, then it was a ripple effect that impacted other people 
because he stopped judging that people who want to enjoy their work and actually have purpose were somehow not working hard enough. Right. And it shifted right. it. And because of that, now he has more engagement with the people he does speak to and lead. And so it's very fascinating how sometimes you really have to shift that leader's mindset before they will ever see this as a real possibility. It's interesting you bring that up because that, that's a common thread in many leaders. And, I, and, I, and for those listening to the audio of this, I just air quoted the word leaders. I was actually on a podcast the other day as a guest, and we talked about the difference between leaders and managers. And that was a, a whole interesting conversation. But to go back to your point, I hear that same thing from a lot of leaders. In fact, about a year ago, I was speaking at an event and it was a smaller group, 12, 15 people, all pretty much all business owners. And I got to talking about some of my other work uh, of, of where I work with teenagers and young people and preparing them for the, for, the, for the big world, as I call it. And, and as I was talking, I, could, I looked over at one business owner in particular who I've known for a while, and he just kept kind of shaking his head. Like, like you could tell he wasn't believing the things I was saying. And so I finally stopped and I said, hey, who has any questions? What can I help you with? And he raised his hand and he said, Mitch, he said, I have a small business. I try and hire a couple of teenagers every year to work part-time. And I can't get them to do anything without asking questions. Like they're always asking questions. And it was just like you said, it was like it was a negative that this person was asking questions. And I said, well, give me an example. And he goes, the other day I asked a girl to vacuum and she says, why do we need to vacuum so much? And I said, okay, was she being a jerk or was she being sincere? And he goes, well, I think she was being sincere, but I've never had anyone ask that question. And I said, that's value. The difference in this generation is they want value. They want to know that their action and energy is investing in the larger picture. And I said, so instead of getting frustrated with that young lady, share with her why it's important for your customers to see a clean area. Share with her how she's actually impacting your business. This man is probably in his mid-60s and has owned a business for 40 years, and he had never thought from that perspective. And it's amazing. You know, it goes even deeper than that, too, a little bit, because I really, I, I hear that a lot with, like, misunderstanding different generations. My second show is actually poking fun at how we misunderstand people in a different generation, but it's told through the story of working for my dad and his tree farm. So it's protected, like it's not insulting, but right. it, it throws you for a loop and you go along for the ride and you know, it's a good crowd pleaser um, that, you know, sometimes I've often thought corporations could use just to stimulate different uh, conversation among teams of different generations, because oftentimes, if a team has multiple generations, they're miscommunicating. Yes. And it's for that reason. They don't understand that one generation just buckle does and does their work and does everything they're told. And another generation's like, no, but we're innovators. We want to see what's possible. Right. Right. And, and if you kill that because you don't like that energy, you actually run the risk of having your business eventually become less relevant because no one's being inquisitive. Yes. Yes. And that will eventually come out in your bottom line, whether it's this year, next year, five dollars, five years down the road, you'll feel that eventually. I call that a fringe ROI thing 
when something today doesn't actually bring a monetary sale, but it impacts future sales in ways that you haven't thought about. Yes. And um, some of the other fringe ROI is like people well-being, people's well-being. If, if you have teams that are so stressed out and it's causing their personal lives to go spiral out of control, you're not going to keep that team or you're going to run the risk of having low productivity because people are going to have to deal with things that they wouldn't have had to deal with if they would have just had more balance. Right. And so sometimes it's not an employer's responsibility to make sure your teams are happy, but you do play a role in their well-being. And there is a reward for that. There is a return on that, just like a marketing ROI when you invest in people's well-being. Yeah, it's very similar to, um, first of all, I have a short personal story I want to share with you about how yes. it work in a second, because you're going to love it. <laughs> but what you just said, it goes back to an, uh, an episode we posted a few, uh, a month or two ago with Lee Chambers, who is a wellness coach. Um, and Lee made a great statement that supports exactly what you're saying. He was talking about healthy eating for people. And he said, you know, it's not the employer's job to make sure that people are eating healthy but the employer can greatly influence the behaviors of people so that when they leave the workplace, they want to make better decisions to be a healthier person to do a better job. And mm -hmm. I think that's what so many leaders forget is, and I hear that often, especially with school system leaders. Well, it's not our job to make sure kids are, are healthy. We're here to educate kids. It's not our job to make sure people are healthy. We're just here to have them do a job. What they forget is the influence that they have in people's lives that can be a motivating factor for us to be healthy mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, and physically. And I think that ties right back to what, to what you're saying. It ties back to what you said in the beginning. If people are healthy, if they're using humor, if they're joyful, if they're having fun, they're more likely to be more productive. And that, yeah. I'm going to share something with you that's going to seem really scary. Let's do but, it. But uh, in my world, uh, someone could say it's not our job to make sure people have fun after all it's work. And I would actually counter that with, well, you do have an ability to influence whether someone feels like they belong. Yes. And the loneliness epidemic costs employers over $3 billion a year in a first right. world country. So it is coming out of your bottom line, whether you like it or not. Like that is like That's something exactly really right. scary to yep. like that people don't think about, but it's actually a well-studied thing. The thing I always love to ask people is what is the single most expensive, uh, expensive cost that companies spend on? Hiring. That is the single largest cost that people spend on hiring and development. And it's because of what we're talking about. There's mm -hmm. that constant turnover, that constant. And it's weird because it's not necessarily a measurable currency all the time. You called it, uh, what did you say? Something I about I call it. I call it fringe ROI. Fringe ROI. There you go. Yeah. And it's that. Yeah. And oftentimes when they can't see it in monetary currency, what they forget is there's millions of ways to measure currency. And that's yeah. really exactly what you're talking about is a different form of currency. Jennifer, this is amazing. So you're the author of a, a great book and it's an ebook, correct? Yes. Yeah. How to bounce back when your dreams have not worked, burned you out or have died. I love that yes. title. Yeah. I love that title. Um, that's available on your website. We'll get to that here in a little bit. Um, yeah. Jennifer is a certified um, life coach and a, and a certified and accredited uh, life coach as well as 
a Second City Music Improv Conservatory alum. That is amazing. Her website is funnylifecoach.com, <laughs> just like it sounds. So Jennifer, tell us a little bit about yourself. We kind of jumped right into the meat of the matter. We're and we're dead. Come back <laughs> to it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, um, why you wanted to come on the show, your journey in life, kind of what's going on now. You're doing okay, aren't you, in this crazy world that we're in living in right now? In this crazy world, yeah. I, am, I am doing okay, yeah. I call 2020 my lifetime reset year. So yeah. like anything that was like personal growth that I just kind of delayed, it's, it's life is like, we're going to heal this now. This is the year that you heal this. And I kind of invite, I mean, I wrote a blog about, you know, the pandemic when it first like really went down in the, in the U S back in March. And the title was use, let this year be a cocoon for you. So that when this is over, you emerge a whole new you. And, and, um, of course, people at the time didn't want to believe that they were just all, mm -mm, you know, about how our lives have changed. But I really do believe that. And, you know, this year I've taken up um, learning. I mean, I don't like to cook at all. I like I really love meal services <laughs> right. like a lot more than I should. Um, <laughs> Uh, I blame it on ha having a studio sized kitchen. So it's not very yep. fun and I have to have all these contraptions to save space. But like if we go beyond the excuses, I just don't like it. Um, but I have been emerging as trying to cook with more things. So like I got a cast iron skillet this year. So I actually, you know, make some really good meat dishes now, whereas before I just depended, depended on my meal services to do that for me because right. I didn't like it. So this has been a year of like transformation for me in ways that I didn't expect. Um, so what's, the fa what's your favorite thing you've learned to cook so far before we go any further? Tell us your favorite <laughs> dish that you, Jennifer's top dish that you've learned to cook so far. Um, well, I definitely have to say I got a keto recipe for enchiladas, which before okay. enchiladas I didn't quite master because I couldn't, really get it all to like properly um there's an art to enchiladas so i tried a keto recipe that was like pretty healthy but it had it had a creamy base um so i was really excited at how i was able to like cook this massive multi-stage dish which to some of you you're like oh my god she's so pathetic like really she cooked chicken enchiladas but really like considering that i barely cooked chicken like just poached it before this is an improvement for me <laughs> yeah, i love i love that you use the the the, the, the phrasing multi-phase <laughs> <laughs> like that's awesome the multi-phase dish well i'm i'm in new mexico and so we're in the enchilada capital of everything <laughs> and if you aren't using green chili i need to send you some green chili from new mexico i'll figure out how to do that and once you pop <laughs> up green chili that's going to become the other phase in your multi-phase enchilada <laughs> So we'll, we'll get you some green chili somehow or another. <laughs> you have to have green chili. <laughs> I, I love that. So tell us, um, you talked a little bit about your journey in the corporate world, but let's go back. I believe there's power in the human story. And so I love, yeah. I love hearing the path that people walk because there's all these experiences that, that made us who we are and helped us make decisions. So you grew up on a tree farm uh, I did. In, in Illinois. Tell us about planted thousands of trees in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, let's hear about that. What was that? What was that like? 
Yeah, I think my portion of the trees that I have planted in my lifetime over the course of my childhood was probably about 20,000. And I stopped counting after that point. And, um, you know, my father passed when I was 20. And so we we eventually sold off um, a bulk of the farm and in later years. Um, and I used to get so annoyed when my dad would be like, okay, so you're going to go build a separate tank for the septic system. And I'm going to go watch movies with your sisters and mom. And I'd be like, are you insane? I have to work while everyone else is watching Lord of the Rings. How pathetic is this? And I would get so mad as a kid. And, but you know, he would, he would say, here's the tank. Here's the sledgehammer. Here's the rototiller hammer, figure it out. And I would get so angry that I would have to do that, but it taught me such a skill that has paid off in my entrepreneurial journey, which is here's the goal, here's the tools, figure it out. And it started, like, I didn't realize growing up, but I was constantly put into positions of um, high stakes and high engineering processes that even though I'm not an engineer, I pretty much think like one. And that impacted, like when I went to college, I was both broadcast journalism and pre-med because I really had thought I was going to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pediatric neurosurgeon, but I just really loved writing. And when my advisor said I didn't have to be a biochem major, I was like, yes, (laughs) I want to study for fun when I want. So, um, and that was a commitment and I, and I had to find how do you have balance, but how do you balance balance with like two very opposite extreme but intense majors and what i now know is that wow i write comedy stories and i write articles all the time for business that's a close cousin of journalism and i'm a certified health coach who can take some insurances so that's a close cousin of medicine so i'm basically like i basically stayed in the same genre for the last however many years it's been but it's, it's, it's pretty wild, like how sometimes your past setbacks or your past life experiences or the things that frustrated the heck out of you ultimately end up making it what is your unique journey that is such an honor to get to live. Yes, it's, um, it's, it's interesting how you experience things that you don't realize at the time. Let's call that, uh, someone coined it fringe ROI. <laughs> It's, it's you did. It's Thank amazing. You. <laughs> it's amazing how those experiences um, are actually preparing you for what's ahead, e- even though you're not sure what that looks like. And and I find that in everyone's story. You know, some people call it hindsight 2020. I just I think it's the universe's crazy way of just saying, you know, here's the path unfolding, and you're going to need these tools in your toolbox to prepare for what's happening. I can tell you a really wild story that's probably going to make you laugh, but I now perform a lot pre-COVID. I mean, COVID, we don't have theaters, but um, before COVID, I was performing a lot in front of live audiences. And when I was four years old, my mom, my mom was, had a lot of stage fright as a kid to the point where when she was in elementary school, if she had to give a verbal book report, she would get so nervous. She, she couldn't speak. And so she really didn't want me to have that path. So she told my dad, um, there's this little 4th of July for a little pageant where people go say a little 
mini speech and I want Jennifer to do this. So she's never fearful of doing a book report. So my mom put me in and I actually got to kind of, I did so accidentally, I did some jokes on the audience and it was my first experience of having 300 adults laugh in a room and I'm on a stage and I, and I can remember what my four-year-old mind was thinking. So it's kind of funny, but it's so interesting how even at four years old, there was almost like this destiny. And now I, a big part of what I do is how do you read an audience and how do you interpret that laughter? And to think the first time I experienced that was when I was four. There's this idea called the beginner's mind and the beginner's mind is all about that innocence of childhood. And I actually believe that as a child, that curiosity, that destiny that you're talking about, everyone has that. It's just we get, we start making our way into this world where people influence us. And unfortunately for a lot of people, adults tell you, no, you could never do that. And people believe that. But if you go back to that beginner's mind, that story you just told, that four-year-old self, what you felt was your path unfolding. And I actually believe every person has that. It's just a matter of whether they listen to it or not. So good for you. Way to listen to four-year-old self. <laughs> yeah, That's such an empowering story, though. It really is. Thank you. And just to continue on this like certain trajectory that we're on, my book became the book about what happens when you haven't listened to those trajectories and it's led to failure and it's led to listening to all the people that tell you that you can't, I cannot begin to tell you how many people told me I would never make it in second city. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had family for every week for 18 months tell me I was never going to graduate or I had a boyfriend in college that told me, you can't graduate with broadcast journalism pre-med. Who do you think you are? And I was like, well, you're kind of an idiot, sir, but <laughs> we won't go well, there. our last date, right? Yeah, bye. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, we all, we all have our journey. And I think, like, how I even got to committing to writing that book was I just – there was not a resource of when you've chronically approached and attempted a dream and it's chronically failed. How do you keep going? Right. And like that is, a, and I kind of wrote it because there's a lot of employees that feel that way, whether it's a personal goal or a professional goal that is impacting productivity in a way that you cannot measure. Right. Um, and so I just felt that this resource with a interactive Facebook group go tied with it would just help people to see a different way so that if it's not the dream that they set out for, they can change course and change dreams. Or if they know in their like soul of soul moments that that's the path, but it just hasn't materialized yet. How do you keep going? I, I love this idea. And I found this in, in, I'm going to say successful, but what I mean by, let me define successful in Mitch Gray's terms, people that are living life passionately and full, that's successful to me. And what I have found in successful people is they have all these different ideas and passions and different manifestations of those. And, and, and you fall into that um, kind of, kind of fold of, I have all this passion for these different things and this idea that you're tying productivity and professionalism and return uh, on revenue to humor, uh, it, it's, it's really something that I've never seen before. Not that I've studied it at great lengths, but you just don't see that a lot. 
So, so the question becomes when we heard your four-year-old self story, but when did you really fall in love with humor and really start going, okay, that can manifest in a way that impacts company culture. So when did you fall in love with humor and when did you bridge that with company culture? Well, I definitely fell in love with I Love Lucy as a kid. And even though that doesn't translate to productivity directly, I was the kid that I was cranky if I had to go to basketball camp and and I couldn't watch my I Love Lucy videos. And that sounds strange, but you know, there was so much artistry in in that comedy and so much about life in that show that I mean, for a kid to watch television, that's not a bad thing. Um, so I really fell in love with sitcoms at a very young age. But as I, in my adult years, after I had been in, I was literally in three careers simultaneously at once. I was um, a digital analyst where I was helping doctors in private practice get leads to their sites that could be profitable. Fun fact, not every doctor has a profitable business. (laughs) Um, And you know, in that corporate culture, in an agency world, I learned a lot about what happens when team morale um, just really plummets productivity. And while I was working that career, I was also coaching um, students with ADHD how to overcome their insecurities and their writing issues so they could be productive in school. And then I was also performing on Friday night's comedy. And so when you do those three things simultaneously for a period of six or more years, you start to see the intra, intra, the cross connections of where they meet. Because a lot of times in leadership, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm -hmm. And there were lessons that I pulled from comedy that made me a better digital analyst. And there were lessons as a digital analyst that made me a better coach and so what happened was my life is like this three-part giant improv show that started to culminate together into a finale, which was my message. Yeah. And once I had realized that I saw the world in this very unique way, it became a, this, this, is, this is why my path is led here, because this is what I'm supposed to teach as my time on the planet. Nothing is separate, right? Like, like we like to view life as, you know, in these, in these categories and separate boxes and segregated, but nothing is separate. Everything we do impacts something else. And, and that's exactly what you're describing is finding the interconnectedness of everything that's going on around you. So what, I feel like something had to have happened in your life where humor motivated some healing or some understanding. I I just, I believe when people are passionate about something, the reason they're passionate about something is because it's actually done something to them internally. Yeah. When was that? If it's too private of a moment, that's okay. But what, if you want to share that, I just feel like there was something in your life where humor became your kind of saving grace or safe place. Yeah. So there's two mega turning points where I went from just being a spectator of comedy to a generator of comedy. Right. And the first time happened when my father passed, I had really young sisters at the time. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, my mom had a lot to deal with. He, it was an unexpected death. He fell off a roof in a construction zone. Um, so there was a lot of chaos because it wasn't expected. And my mom was dealing with so much legal stuff and follow-up and insurance and stuff. So I kind of 
in a pseudo way fell into a, a mini parental role. Yes. And, and nothing is nothing is worse than seeing your sister so down in the dumps because some life event has happened. So that's when I started becoming, that's when my humor gene really started to emerge. Right. And it was a way to help others not feel pain. And even though I was in pain, it was a way to make coping a lot easier. And then the second turning point was I had dated a man for two years who unbeknownst to me um, had stolen my identity while dating me. And I broke up with him because I found out what had happened. And um, there's just like so much packed into that story of like, you know, when someone steals your identity, you essentially like have no rights because you are guilty until proven innocent because the, the credit people are thinking you're lying. Um, you, the collections people also think you're lying. And the uh, your world is really like, you can't get an apartment these days without a credit score. You right. can't get a car without a credit score. You can't get sometimes even employment without a credit score. And at the time I had just started my career. I was working a making the ends meet kind of job, but it wasn't really making the ends meet. And so here this man had like taken out 10 grand in my name, mm. unbeknownst to me. And so I'm a real advocate for consumer knowledge of like checking your credit report and like following up on those things because I was a good consumer and followed the raw report. That's how I discovered it. Right. And um, initially there was a lot to unpack and overcome but eventually I turned it into a comedy show. And when I started performing, I started to notice that people were struggling with different aspects of their relationships and, in, and women were having struggles being empowered about money and not just giving it away. And so it led to even more coaching clients because of that. So it's been, it's been wild. Wow, that's a, that's a whole other episode, right? <laughs> it probably is. Like, that's like a little... Yeah. Another episode. I love that. Um, thank you for sharing that. I just, and, and that's always the feeling I get when, when people are talking passionately about something, it just tells me the, the fiber of the human story tells us that there's something there. And, and so thank you for sharing those. I know there's someone listening who is going, yes, I get it. I get it. Thank you for sharing. You're empowering someone by sharing that. I want, I want to bring something up that kind of ties into that. Um, I, I love kind of the subtext of your, of your website homepage. It says, bringing the humor so you can bounce back from burnout and create your comeback story. Yeah. What, is, what does that look like? We've talked a lot about the workplace. We've talked a lot about leadership. But what does that look like when you're working with people individually or working with an audience or you know, after you do a show, someone contacts you and that turns into a, a mentorship. I love that creating your comeback story. What, what does that look like? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Sometimes it, like I had a client who, um, she didn't come to me through, uh, the comedy, but she came through, through a referral and she was just devastated that her family, she was in a culture where arranged marriages were a thing. Hmm. And she had to get up the courage to tell her parents, I'm sorry, but you messed up. I don't want to marry this guy. And it was a, an arranged marriage where you got to meet the person before you said, I do thank God for her case. Right. But right. she basically 
we had to say the man you think he is is not the man he actually is. And so it's very empowering to take someone who is literally burnt out from a culture that is literally going to change the rest of their life and help them get the courage to stand up for that and create movement where they can change their life. And her comeback story came from not only did she build better rapport with her parents, but they actually said, okay, we should consult you a lot more. And she ended up getting engaged to a man she absolutely adores. She never said she, she, never, she always said she would never move out of Illinois, but she moved to the East Coast because he was a research scientist and she couldn't be happier. And so that's kind of an example of how like a really not so great and in her culture, like you don't, you don't say anything to your parents. You just like, right. it's, it's her culture. So there was a lot at stake of like, how do you communicate in a way that doesn't expect, like doesn't get you kicked out of the community, yes. but like also you don't sign up for a life that you really don't want. What's crazy is it's not necessarily that specific story all the time, but when we talk about cultures that many of us were, were raised in, there is actually a very similar thread for so many people walking the earth where that culture of your childhood um, is not the culture you necessarily want to take forward with you. Right. And, and, and that is a major, major um, turning point, And it's a major thing. Like, like, it's a major thing to sit through all the belief systems you were raised in and taught and then to go, that's not for me. And if that's not handled properly, that, that can cause, I've seen it cause a lot of damage in people's lives. And so thank goodness that we can hear stories like that. Oh my gosh. And to be able to say, you know, this is not for me, but I still love you. Yes. Yes. Because a lot of times we say, oh, you don't agree with me? Okay, bye-bye. I, I hate you. Let me spew hate now. And the higher form is actually, no, I actually deeply disagree with you. But since you are a human being, I will love you anyway. And that's like a, a higher consciousness that hopefully yes. we will all evolve to. <laughs> What's crazy is I think at the heart of that thought I believe the majority of humankind agrees with that thought, but that is such it's something that seems so easy to do and so right to do is such a challenging thing for so many people. And really, if we're honest, at some level or another, it's challenging for everyone. For some people, it's a major yes. thing, and for some people, it's a smaller thing. But I, I believe all of humanity would go, yes, that's the way we should be because we're all different and we all need to be different and we're, we're our own people. And, but yeah, in theoretically you're like, yes, that makes sense. And then when it comes down to it and you sit at the table, it's like, ah, oh, it's like gut wrenching, right? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I have to thing. tell these people I disagree with them and I'm not going to live this life. I'm going to live my life, but I still love them. And it becomes <laughs> this like whole gut wrenching thing where you go to the bathroom twice and throw up and then come back. And it's like, oh, why is it so gut wrenching? The right <laughs> thing is so gut wrenching. <laughs> But it's gut-wrenching because what's happening is we're stepping out of an identity that someone created for us and into our own identity. And that takes what we call courage. Yeah. Great. And then to follow what we're actually supposed to do in the world. I mean, those two things, those are two big yeses that some people go their whole life without saying yes to. Right. And right. The, the upside to that is when you say yes to those two things, you actually become 
the, you actually get the feeling of feeling most alive. <laughs> say that again, please. Please say that again. Yeah. So when you say yes to doing the courage of the life, you know, that is not your programming, but is the life you want to live, or it's the yes to the thing you know you're supposed to do in the world, that's when you get to feel most alive. And all of the addictions sort of, and all the diseases sort of fail in comparison. I mean, there was a study done that this guy, you know, was a research uh, analyst for cancer and he started having his patients do the thing that they always wanted to do, the thing that would bring them joy. And a lot of times a high percentage of them recovered from cancer because they no longer had resentment towards life, they had joy. And so that's why like humor in the workplace, you do so much more than the value of getting productivity and more sales and retention of revenue. What you actually spark is like a higher form of organizational community. And that brings so many more benefits that we just don't have a way to track those right now. I could easily argue, and you've alluded to many studies, and we could bring about so many more studies. I could easily argue that what you just painted is the single greatest return on investment that a business is going to receive. It is a currency that, although kind of immeasurable, is actually also the most measurable because you can walk, people know it, you can walk into a place and just from the energy, you go, oh, or you go, oh. Mm -hmm. And that's currency. That yeah. is tangible currency. And that's really what you're talking about. Jennifer, this has been amazing. We knew it was going to be good. We knew it was going to be good. We're not quite done yet, but I do want to start <laughs> winding down some. Um, I do want to start here before we get in. Every show I end by asking our guests five questions. It's kind of like a speed round thing. Okay. One more answer. So we're going to get into that in a second. Um, I want to get into a few things that you've got. Again, I want to mention the book, uh, How to Bounce Back When Your Dreams Have Not Worked, Burned You Out, or Have Died. Tell people where they can find that book. Yeah, so whenever I do events like this, I the link is funnylifecoach.com forward slash free. When you sign up, you get a, a swag bag of virtual goodies, and in it is a, a nice discount for being a listener to you for that book and uh, interactive Facebook group. So um, that link again is funnylifecoach.com forward slash free. And we will put that in the show notes if that's okay with you. And that way our listeners can uh, find that. Pardon? We'll put that in the show notes if that's okay with you. Yes, that's awesome. That way our, our listeners can find it. We had a glitch there. I'm sorry. I think we're we back. did have a glitch. We must, have, we must have had a very powerful conversation yeah. that Zoom is like tweaking. <laughs> it's been great <laughs> until then. And then we glitched. That's okay. We're back. <laughs> Um, if you want to follow Jennifer, uh, brothers and sisters on social media, you can't find her at Funny Life Coach, just like it sounds. But please go to her website, funnylifecoach.com. That's where you'll find all the great things that she is doing. Oh, no. I'm actually scrolling through it right now. When she is on tour, which hopefully, let's all hope, uh, will be soon. Yes. That you're back playing shows. You'll be able to find her tour stuff there. You can contact Jennifer on her website and and if you are a business leader, we have quite a few business leaders that listen to us. And if you're interested at all in consulting with Jennifer, I would encourage you to contact her. And uh, I'm sure she probably does um, probably does consultations in the beginning I to make do. sure it's the right fit. Most of us do that as consultants. And But reach out to her, a business owner of any sort, a manager of any sort, reach out to Jennifer to have a consultation and see if you guys are a fit. And then you can hire her to 
bring some humor and joy to your workplace culture. I love that. That is so awesome. <laughs> okay, Jennifer, are you ready for the speed round of questions? I am. We're going to give you five questions, one word answers only. Let's see if you can do this, okay? Uh, regarding books, do you prefer digital or paper? Paper. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Okay, this isn't a five question, but I like to ask this. Do you put anything in it or do you prefer it just black? Oh, no. I like, <laughs> I, I, I'm a, I don't like to have, do this all the time, but I'm an iced coffee girl. Oh, a lot of people are. I'm not into so, iced coffee, but a lot I, of people are. Yeah, I know. I know it's my meal service, but they do iced coffee <laughs> packets and they're amazing and they're plant-based so you don't have all the dairy issues. So let's just do this, right? Where do you order them? Let's just do it. Let's just get it out there. Tell the people where you order your awesome coffee from. So I, I ordered my awesome coffee from Daily Harvest. Okay. I've heard of that. Awesome. Thank yeah. you. Um, back to the questions. Uh, what's one guilty pleasure that you have? Mm. Okay. So this is going to sound strange, but uh, I like really fun artistic massages so like okay. like uh th there's just this culture in a suburb outside of here that has a lot of um it's like it's like a buddha place but it's mm -hmm. it's like it's just like i go there early when i'm writing and i write from my little thing and then i enjoy two hours of relaxation that so, sounds amazing actually yeah Sometimes that weirds people out because not everyone likes those things, but I just, I like, I just feel like I'm spiritually connected. I love it. I love it. Uh, one thing you cannot live without. One thing you cannot live without. Uh, chocolate. <laughs> Multiple people say that actually. <laughs> but because I'm a health coach, I know that dark chocolate is actually healthy for you yep. because it has some good properties. So I don't do milk. I just... <laughs> Stick with the dark chocolate. Chocolate. And what's your favorite season of the year? Fall. So yeah, right now. Same. same. Yeah. It's beautiful. Are the leaves changing in Illinois yet? Is everything kind of starting to turn? <clears throat> They've started to, but you no, know, it's it's pandemic season, so it's just a different time. So I've been particularly loving just being able to catch the lakefront since the beaches were closed this year. Oh, yes, yes. So the beaches are still closed, but um I just love being in the outdoor cafes right now. Yeah, that's awesome. Jennifer, this has been wonderful. Give us, uh, give us one thing you want to leave with the people as we wind down. Yes. I think if, if you're someone that's had a goal that hasn't been working for quite some time and you just feel so frustrated, definitely sign up for that swag bag because um, there are some things in there and some free resources that can really help you just get your mojo back, even if you've had failure. And give us that, give us that address again, and we'll put it in the show notes as well, but give it to us one more yeah, time. Yeah, it's funnylifecoach.com forward slash free. I love it. Funnylifecoach.com forward slash free. Visit our website, funnylifecoach.com. Jennifer Doherty, this has been amazing, and you've brought some light and love to our presence and uh, I look forward to continuing our conversation down the road as we both yes. do really fun things. <laughs> so again, listeners, if you're a business leader of any sort or a consultant, or you just want some one-on-one -on -one coaching to, uh, to create your comeback story, contact Jennifer, get hooked up with her. 
she's ready and willing to uh, take on some new clients right now. I'm totally speaking out for her, but none of us are turning down clients right now. So, <laughs> um, so I'm going to make a total assumption there <laughs> yeah, reach out to her and uh, build that partnership and, and uh, it'll be awesome. So brothers and sisters, we hope you are safe and healthy. Thank you for listening to the Mitch Gray show. Follow us on social media at M Gray media. If you are on LinkedIn, I'm currently building my LinkedIn network. Just look up Mitch Gray, G-R-A-Y. Reach out to me, DM me, ask any questions you need to ask. You can uh, um, follow us all over social media and subscribe to the Mitch Gray show. That's the thing I forgot. You're listening somehow already. We also have these on YouTube. You can look up the YouTube channel, Mitch Gray Media, and find the videos on YouTube. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon.